seated. Thank you so much. I tell you, God's awesome. Yes, He is. You know, I was reading Psalms chapter 23 one time, and it's, you know, the last verse. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I got to thinking about that, and it didn't say only goodness and mercy will follow us. You know, all of us are going to have problems. We all have problems. If you haven't ever had a problem, just hold on. You're young. <laughs> I can guarantee you it's only really young people who say they've never had a problem. We live in a hostile environment. We live in a fallen world. And God's not the one that causes the problems, but problems come. You will have problems. So it didn't say that only goodness and mercy follows us. But it did say that surely goodness and mercy follow us. And I just got to thinking about it. You know what? You've got a choice. Are you going to focus on goodness and mercy? Or are you going to focus on the problems that you've got? And the sad thing is most people are more focused on the problems that are, they're experiencing than they are goodness and mercy. But in every situation, God is still a good God. I was talking to a woman right down here who just lost her husband recently and I asked how she's doing and she says, great, man, God is good. And you know what? She could be focused on losing a husband of 50 years or she could be talking about how good God is. You got a choice. And praise God, the devil can't make it. God won't force you to focus on it. It's really up to you. And you've made some good choices to be here this week. We've also got, I just heard, 3,300 people watching by the Internet. We've got people in overflow rooms, two, 300. I think there's a total of 1,400 in here. And all of you made a great choice to be here this week. And you know what? You can focus on God. I believe that that's what you're here for. And praise God, we're going to do everything we can to uplift the Lord in, in a song in the Word, in ministry to people and everything. And I just encourage you to reach out. It's a special time to separate yourself. Many of you have taken vacation to be here. And you know what? God is wanting you to receive more than you're wanting to receive. I believe that with all of my heart. So, you know, sometimes people don't notice this, but I'm just going to point out that we haven't asked God to come and be with us. We haven't begged God to show up. We aren't praying for God to come down. God's already here. God wants to set you free more than you want to be free. God wants you healed more than you want to be healed. God wants you joyful, blessed, prosperous more than you want it. And so really, all we're doing is just helping open up our hearts to receive from God. We don't have to beg God to do anything. Amen? And I, I take a lot of comfort in that. Praise the Lord. Let's turn over to the book of Galatians, chapter 6 again, where I was during the offering. I'm going to share something that I've been meditating on for years, but for the last six months I've been thinking about this and thinking I just need to really minister on some things. So I'm going to be talking about the cross of Christ and what that means. And I'm going to share some things that some of you this week, in the latter part of this week, may not think relate to the cross of Christ, but um, it does. And it's going to be things that I've never ministered on before. Things that I've believed and I referred to, but I've never ministered on. And um, I think it's going to be really good. I'm excited to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> and I'm using y'all as guinea pigs. 
I'll just give you a little behind the scene thing. I can't make an outline. I've got some, I've got all of these scriptures written down, but I just, I don't know. I have a hard time organizing things. So what I do, I just meditate on the word. I let God speak to me. And then when I stand up and minister, God supernaturally puts things in order for me. And this is how I outline things is when I minister. <laughs> so, uh, it's going to be exciting to see how this goes. Amen. But let me ask you a question. When I ask you what the cross of Christ means to you, what does that, what does that mean? And you know, as I got to thinking about this, I grew up in church, and when I was uh, a kid, you know, I, don't, I didn't understand the cross of Jesus the way that I understand it now. I've got a totally different concept of it. A lot of people, we just were at this director's meeting and on Sunday morning we just sat around and started worshiping the Lord and somebody started singing uh, the old rugged cross. And we sang that song. And you know, that made me kind of flash back to when I was a kid thinking about it. And what does it mean to cling to the cross? To the old rugged cross? You know, a lot of people have all kinds of ideas of what it means. And yet the scripture, there are some things that... Uh, I think that it's become a religious cliche. Most of us don't really understand what the Bible is meaning when it talks about the cross of Christ. And because of it, we use this terminology and don't understand what it means. It's kind of become like the name of Jesus. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, it shall be done. And there's a number of scriptures that talk about the power in the name of Jesus. And yet the average person, when they pray a prayer... They just say, in the name of Jesus, amen. It's become like the way that you close your prayer. It's just a religious thing and they don't understand. But when you're saying in the name of Jesus, you're saying because of what He did, because of His righteousness. I'm claiming no righteousness, no merit. This isn't because I deserve it. But instead, it is all because of Jesus. That's what you literally are saying when you say in the name of Jesus. And yet I've heard people pray and say, Oh God, I'm fasting and I'm praying and I'm studying the Word and I'm living holy. Now give it to me in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Their whole prayer is contrary to what that really means. And so in a sense, you know what they're doing? They're taking the name of Jesus in vain. They aren't out swearing. They aren't using profanity, but they're using the name of Jesus without understanding what it really means, and that's taking it in vain. It's just become a kind of a way to end your prayers. Well, likewise, when we talk about the cross of Jesus, uh, it means a lot of different things to different people. So I want to just begin to talk about this this week, and I think it's going to be a real blessing. First of all, let me share this with you. This is the Strong's definition of this Greek word, I'm not going to try and pronounce this. I I just nearly tried to pronounce it, but I better not. Anyway, here's what it means. Number 2476. It means a stake or a post as set upright. That is specifically a pole or cross as an instrument of capital punishment. That's one thing. Figuratively, it means exposure to death. That is self-denial. And then the third thing, it means the atonement of the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to be expounding on this. But there are scriptures that just refer to the cross of Christ talking about a physical implement. And then there's other scriptures. I've got all of this stuff written down and I don't think that the details of it are important. You can go study this out. But there are 12 times that it just talks about a physical implement. But then there are... um, 
Let's see. There are six times, and this was all spoken by Jesus, that he referred to the cross as an instrument of self-denial. Jesus is the only one that used it this way. And let me just real quickly give you some of those. But in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, it says, He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Jesus is not talking about physically picking up an instrument, a physical thing. This is talking about self-denial. It's talking about a way of dying to yourself and your own desires and instead yielding your life and serving someone bigger than yourself. And uh, many of these, are uh, Jesus spoke them all there in different gospels, so some of it are repeated. I won't go through all of that. But there's a number of times that he spoke about self-denial. And then Paul is the one, is the only one in Scripture that talked about the Christ, I mean, and the cross as referring to the atonement of what Jesus did for us. And that's what I'm going to be focused on. Let me just share a couple of these with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. It says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now there's a lot that I could say. I'm going to come back and deal with some of this in more detail. But let me just say that this says that if you are preaching the cross and using fancy words, if it's your delivery and those kind of things, you can make the cross of Christ of none effect. This isn't talking about the physical wood that Jesus was crucified on. What it's talking about is the atonement of Jesus. You can literally make void what Jesus did through certain things. A scripture that goes along with this is uh, Galatians chapter 2, and I believe it's verse 24 or 21. And it says that I do not frustrate the grace of God because if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. You can frustrate the grace of God, which is very similar to what this is saying about that you can make it of none effect. Or if you go over to Galatians chapter 5 and uh, verse 4, let me read that verse to you. And I'm going to be dealing with this in a lot more detail later in the week. But it says in verse 4, Christ has become of none effect, no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Man, those are strong statements. You know, if you were to just be honest, there are people in here watching by internet who you believe that Jesus died to set you free emotionally and that you can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. You believe that with all of your heart, and yet you deal with depression, discouragement, fear. So you believe that something has been provided, but as far as your life goes, there is no effect. There are some of you that believe that Jesus died to heal your body, and you believe in that, and if we tell you about some of these miracles of people being healed, you say, oh, I believe in that. That's what I'm believing for. But if you just look at your body... There is no effect. How does that happen? How can you believe that something is provided and yet there be no effect in your life? This verse says that Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. 
You know, we have religious traditions that anytime you say some of these things, fallen from grace, people immediately think this means you've lost your salvation, that you're reprobate, you're damned or something. That's not what this is talking about. I'm not going to preach on this tonight, hopefully. I'm trying to do this in a certain order. I'll come back to this later and explain it. But this isn't talking about you losing your salvation or being reprobate. It's just saying that you aren't receiving the benefits of what Jesus came to do because you are trusting in yourself. You are thinking you have to be worthy, that you have to earn the blessings of God instead of understanding the cross. When we refer to the cross, when Paul is talking about the cross, what he's doing is talking about what Jesus did for us and not what we do for Jesus. That's huge. That is an awesome statement right there. And I think that that just goes over most people's head. But did you know that the vast majority of the body of Christ today is teaching what you must do to get God to move in your life? There's probably some of you that came to this meeting. There's probably some of you that tuned in by the internet and what you, you're saying, boy, God, I need you to do something. I'm wanting a key. Give me something to do. We, we have this terminology all the time. People talk about, man, faith moves God. And so you go to believing God. And if God doesn't move in your life, then what you do is you start fasting because that puts more pressure on God. And that increases your ability. It's like you, you get leverage. You know, I moved this huge boulder the other day. I'm building this trail on my property and I had this boulder in my way and I had to move it. And that thing weighed well over a ton. I'm sure it was huge and I couldn't move it. But, you know, I've learned about leverage. And I got these metal poles and I put a rock, a smaller rock up close to it and put that thing in there, put an extension in it, made it about 10 feet long, got on the end of that thing and I could move this giant boulder because I had leverage on it. And you know, that's what most people, that's how they think about God. God, I've asked and you haven't moved yet. And so I'm going to fast. That'll give me leverage. That'll move you. And if that doesn't work, then you go to your prayer chain and get a hundred people praying and that'll put pressure on God. Some of you are looking at me like, who would do that? <laughs> Nearly every person in here. This is what people do when it comes to praying for revival. They have this attitude that God, for whatever reason, isn't moving. And we aren't seeing the power of God manifest. So let's get a hundred thousand or a million people. And you'll, they may say it differently, but this is exactly the point that they're making is that God wouldn't answer one person's prayer. But if we could get a hundred thousand or a million people praying at the exact same time all over the world, that would put pressure on God. That would give us leverage. We could make God pour out His Spirit. That whole mindset is the very reason that we haven't seen a great move of God. You know, I used to, everything I'm talking against, I used to do, so I'm not mad at anybody. God loved me. I loved God. But you know what? It, it was frustrating and I found a better way to pray and a better way to relate to God. But I remember going to a place in Myrtle, Mississippi that this was back in 1969, I think it was. And they had been praying for revival for 50 years in this little church. And they had a basement in this church where prayer had gone on 24 hours a day for 50 years begging God for a revival. 
And I remember going down and looking, and there were, it was a concrete floor, and they had benches, prayer benches, around the outside. And you could see where the concrete had been hollowed out like over an inch deep where people had knelt at these benches over 50 years. People kneeling on their knees made holes in the concrete. Because there had been 24-hour day prayer, and I was so inspired. Boy, I came back. I started having prayer meetings. I've been, I did that in 1969, and I led all of these things. And there has been, people have been praying and begging God for revival, 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 and we haven't seen it because you know what? You can make Christ of none effect thinking that you have to do something to make God move. It's counterintuitive. We think that we've got to do something to get God to move. It's like I was trying to say at the very beginning of this service. We don't have to beg God to come and be with us. He gave us a promise. If two or three are gathered together in His name, He's here in the midst. And He's also shown us that He longs to release His power in our life. God wants you free, wants you blessed more than you want it. It's not like God sitting there with His arms folded and say, you're going to have to cry a little bit louder than that. You're going to have to fast a little bit more than this. You're going to have to be holier than that. You're going to have to get more people than this. I'm not going to move until you do more. It's not like that. God's like this. He's trying to move in your life. He's trying to get you healed. He's trying to set you free. God wants it more than you do. Well, if all that be true, why doesn't it happen? Because you can make Christ... The cross, what He did, of none effect by the way you think. If you think you are justified by the law, and I'm going to explain this more in detail, but the law here isn't talking about that you're justified by offering an animal sacrifice. It's not talking about that you've got to observe the feast days and the Passover and all of the things that were associated with the Old Testament law. That Those were things that were done in the Old Testament. But today... We've changed things. It's no longer people feeling like you have to offer an animal sacrifice or you have to go through all of their rituals and wear the certain type of clothes and wear your hair a certain way. That's not it. But we have the same mentality. It's like we're going down the same road. It's the same destination. We've just changed vehicles. And today, it's you've got to go to church and you've got to fast, and you've got to pay your tithes, and you've got to study the Word an hour a day, and you've got to pray in tongues an hour a day. And if you get mad, God's not going to answer your prayer if you get mad. And if you haven't prayed and fasted, and if you haven't dotted every I and crossed every T, God won't move in your life. That is the very thing that stops the cross of Christ from benefiting you and makes it of none effect. And y'all are looking at me in this tone of voice like... Who would ever do that? All of us. All of us have looked to ourselves instead of fully understanding. And this is one of the things I'm going to try and accomplish this week is to talk about what it really means, the cross of Christ. Jesus paid it all. He didn't just pay like the down payment, get you into the house, and then you've got to make the monthly payments. Jesus paid it all. Everything He gives is absolutely paid for. It's debt-free. 
You don't owe anything. There is nothing that you can give. And if you try and add anything to the cross of Christ, to the atonement of Christ, if you try and add your goodness and say, but God, I'm being as faithful as I can be and I love you and oh God, please move in my life because I'm doing all of these things, then you pollute what Jesus has done. You add any of your goodness to Jesus and you defile Jesus. We can't add anything to anything we try and add to Jesus actually detracts from it. And I'm going to try and balance this. As a matter of fact, I am going to balance I'm going to share something. I'm not going to tell you tonight, but I'm going to share something either Thursday or Friday night that is going to shock some of you. But I'm going to try and put this into balance. You do need to live holy and do these things, but it has zero to do with God moving in your life. It has a lot to do with about you keeping your heart sensitive to God and, and, uh, and keeping the devil out and not giving place to the devil. But your holiness can't add anything to God. If you try and add to what God has done, and if you say, well, yes, I've got to pray in the name of Jesus, and of course I had to have His atonement for me, but I've also got to do some things, and unless I do these things, God won't move in my life. If that's the way that you think, that's the very thing that is making Christ of none effect. This has to be one of the strongest scriptures in the Bible. What Jesus did is the centerpiece of the entire world, the universe. It's the most important thing that's ever happened. What Moses did is nothing compared to what Jesus did. What all of the prophets, all of the... You, you take anything in history... You know, people talk about all of the things that have changed the world, and sure, there have been things that have shaped our world, and all kinds of things have happened. But you know what? No, everything pales in comparison to what Jesus did. Some people don't like to admit this, but we, our calendar is dated from Jesus. It was a turning point in history. It's the most important thing that ever happened. How could anything we do make what Jesus did of none effect? It's when you start trusting in what you have done for God instead of what God has done for you. Anytime you do that, you make Christ of none effect in your life. And again, nobody does this intentionally, and so I know many of you think, oh, I haven't done that, but just be honest. Are there things that you believe that Jesus has provided that you have absolutely no effect of it in your life. You aren't seeing the healing, the joy, the peace, the prosperity, the encouragement. As far as your life goes, there is no effect of it in your life. You can look at the results, and if, if that's the results that you see, then I can guarantee you somewhere along the line, you are making what Jesus has done of none effect. And it's you that does that. And some people hate it when I point things like this out and saying, man, you're making you're saying it's my fault? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And some people say that bothers me. It ought to bless you to find out that it's my fault. Because if you're the one that did it, well then good news. You're the one that can change it. It's not God who has willed for you to be a mess. 
It's not God who's willed for you to live in that state. And see, this is the way so much religion approaches it. And they deal with our Christ being of no effect in our life and, and thus not reaping the benefits. And the way that a lot of religion deals with that is to say, God, it's God's will for you to suffer. God's teaching you something by your suffering. Or this is God's punishment. Or this is how you become strong and holy is through all of the things that you suffer. And they come up with excuses that basically justify and make it positive that you're dying and being overcome and defeated and things like that. Man, that's wrong. That is not right at all. The Lord wants to have an effect in your life. If Christ is of no effect in your life, it's not because He has turned off the spigot. It's because we have. And the number one thing that does that is by us trusting in what we do for Him instead of what He has done for us. Another, word of, another way of saying that is that we aren't understanding what happened at the cross. We aren't understanding what it means when it talks about the cross. That's a powerful, powerful statement. I was also reading over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 17. I think it's the very next verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. I read 1 Corinthians 1.17. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. You know, another scripture that goes right along with that, it's nearly word for word, is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And in this says that the cross is the power of God. So I believe that by putting those verses together, you can say this, that when you're talking about the cross of Christ, you aren't only talking about what Jesus did for us, His atonement, and how He suffered our punishment and He paid the debt, but you're also talking about the grace that it takes to appropriate that. So, talking about the cross is synonymous with talking about the grace of God. It's not something that you earn. It's not that we do this and God responds to us and gives us a healing or a peace or prosperity in return. If you are doing something trying to get God to respond to you, then you aren't operating in grace. You're operating in the law, which makes what Jesus has provided for you through the cross of none effect. It's contrary to the gospel. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, the, the church as a whole, I am for the church. We're in a church building. I am not against the church. I believe everybody needs to have a good church, but not every church is a good church. We, religion is in epidemic proportions in the world today. We've got religious churches that are basically preaching that if you want the power of God, you do this, this, and this, and then God responds and does this. And it all makes it proportional to how holy you live and all of the things that you're doing. And I tell you, there are millions and millions of people today who are frustrated because they believe that God exists, they believe that God wants to provide for them, but they have been told that the way you get it is by being holy and doing these things. And basically, you clean yourself up and you earn the power of God. And that is the very thing that stops the power of God. Let me just make some radical statements. Radical statements. 
Did you know that homosexuality will not stop God from moving in your life? Adultery won't stop God from moving in your life. Not reading your Bible won't stop God from moving in your life. Not praying. If you get angry at somebody, that's not going to stop God from moving in your life because it was all according to the cross, what Jesus did for you. And I know that there's people sitting right here watching that are choking on this and saying, no, this can't be so, but I, I, you know, this is not my point right now, but I can show you the woman taken in the very act of adultery and Jesus forgave her and ministered grace to her. Now, he didn't tell her, go out and just keep sinning. He said, go and sin no more. I'm not saying that we should sin because it gives Satan an inroad into our life and it condemns us, but Jesus ministered to the adulteress and ministered mercy to her. He went into the house of publicans and sinners. He was accused of being a friend of them. Did you know that they're, the only people that ever got rebuked in the Bible were the religious Pharisees, the holy people? He never rebuked a prostitute. He told them, go and sin no more. I'm not saying he condoned prostitution. He didn't condone murder and stealing and things like this, but he never rebuked those people. The only people he ever rebuked were the religious people that were holier than any of us have thought about being. Man, they, they fasted twice every week. They paid tithes even down to the spices in their garden. They took the mint and the anise and the cumin and they took it and they separated those seeds and counted out 10%. They were legalistic in everything they did. They wore, they wore these little things called phylacteries. You know, in the, in the book of De, uh, Deuteronomy, I forget, I think it's chapter 6 or chapter 8, it says that the book of the law shall not depart from your eyes. You shall meditate in it day and night. And so, based on that scripture, they put this little thing around their head that had a container in it, and they put scripture in that container and dangled it in between their eyes so that they, it stayed between their eyes. They took that literally. These people wore garments that had bells around it. And the bells, every time they sounded, it reminded them that they were supposed to be holy to God. And they, just on and on and on, they could go. And they, they, they uh, sounded trumpets. They had prayer time that they stopped everything and prayed every day. I mean, these people were more religious, more holy than we could ever imagine and relate to. And they're the only people Jesus ever rebuked. He didn't rebuke the sinners, the harlot, the prostitute, the tax collector that was stealing money, lying. He didn't condone it. He told those people to quit doing it. But the only people that ever suffered his rebuke were the holy people. You know why? Because a sin that is a million times worse than homosexuality is self-righteousness. You can find homosexuals, you can find prostitutes, you can find... Uh, adulterers, you can find murderers, liars, stealers, all of these kind of things. And they're doing the wrong things. But you know what? They know they're wrong. And they aren't promoting and thinking that they deserve it. Matter of fact, when they get into the presence of God, they know that they're unworthy. Did you know what? God can have mercy on a person like that. But a person who thinks that I'm good enough and God, you've got to move in my life because I've been living a holy life. That is the worst sin. That, that makes homosexuality pale in comparison to self-righteousness. 
And religion today is promoting and encouraging and demanding self-righteousness. And that's the very thing that makes the cross of Christ of none effect. Is our trust in ourselves. Satan cannot accuse Jesus. There's not a person in here that if the devil started running the de- Jesus down and saying, you know what, Jesus isn't really all he's cracked up to be. He can't heal. He can't set free. Jesus can't really change a life. You know what, you would reject that. But Satan will come in and say, oh yeah, Jesus is awesome. But the problem is, you are so ungodly. What makes you think Jesus would do anything for you? And did you know that most people, and again, I know that you're people that have already heard the grace of God to some degree, and that's the reason that you've come, and that it's already working in you. And yet I bet you that the vast majority of people in here, you wouldn't let Satan run Jesus down and talk about that he's not worthy, but you would certainly let the devil run you down and talk about that you're not worthy, and you'd get right in and agree with him and say, man, it's true. It's true, and I know that I'm going to promise that I'm going to live better than I've ever lived in my life. And you start bartering with God. God, I'll, I'll increase. I'll do this if you will do this. And most people will embrace that. They will accept condemnation of themselves. Because they think that God moves in our life proportional to our goodness. That is contrary to the cross. Again, we use this word just as a religious cliche, but I'm hoping that this week, as I teach on this, you're going to understand what the cross means and you're going to recognize that when it's talking about the cross, it's talking about what Jesus did for you, independent of you. It has zippo, zilch, nada to do with you. He paid for everything. You can't add any of your goodness to it or you distract from it. You take away from it. And it's not only talking about what he did, but he's talking about that it's available to you by grace. You can't earn it. There is nothing you can do. And you've got to totally get out of this mindset of thinking I've got to do something in order for God to move in my life. And you've got to start praising Him for what He's already done and resting in His atonement instead of you having to atone for your own sins. Did you ever find Galatians chapter 6? That's where I was headed. <laughs> Look at this. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 6 and in verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. What is this talking about? Is Paul saying that God forbid that I should glory except in this piece of wood that Jesus was crucified on? Was he talking about a relic? Was he talking about there being some kind of holy anointing on this? You know, the way that some religious things, they want to find these relics and then they enshrine them and make these things out of it. I can guarantee you that is not what Paul was talking about. He says, God forbid that I should glory in anything except the cross of Christ. What he was talking about is what Jesus did for him, not what he does for Jesus. And if you were to take the book of Galatians in context, especially this sixth chapter, this is the point that he's making, is that all of these people, the Galatians were people that he went and he brought the gospel to them. He said in the third chapter, verse 1, that it was like Jesus was crucified publicly before their eyes. 
And what he was talking about, Jesus preached the cross. I mean, Paul preached the cross of Jesus. He talked about Jesus dying and burying our sins. And he made it so vivid that he said, it's just as if you saw Jesus crucified in front of you. And because he preached that, the people submitted and received salvation and right standing with God totally as a gift. They didn't have to barter with God. They didn't have to go through rituals and be confirmed. And, you know, today we have so many things. You've got to be baptized as a child. You've got to go through a catechism. There are denominations that preach water baptism is essential for God to move in your life. Uh, the vast majority of all uh, Christian churches teach that you've got to live holy to receive from God. And we have all of these different things. But the Galatians, it was like they saw Jesus crucified and they understood that He did all of this for them and they just received it by grace. And then He started talking about, are you so foolish? Having started by putting faith in what He did for you, now you're going to be made perfect and you're going to start receiving the benefits of your salvation because of your goodness? It wasn't anything about your goodness when you received it at first. It was just you, you saw Jesus crucified. But now you are getting to where you're doing all of these things. That's what he's talking about. The big issue in the book of Galatians was circumcision. And he dealt with that primarily and talked about why people preach that only lest they should be persecuted because of the cross of Christ. Anytime you start putting emphasis on anything that you should do, you're taken away from this cross. And so that's the context. And he says, God forbid that I should glory in anything but the cross of Christ, in anything except what Jesus did for me. Paul is saying, God forbid that I should start talking about what I have done and emphasizing what I have done and glorifying what I have done and bragging on what I have done. You know, when you understand the cross of Christ effectively, it totally eliminates pride and arrogance. Matter of fact, Paul said this in Romans chapter 3, verse 27. This is the verse that changed Martin Luther's life and started the Protestant Reformation and that changed the entire world. But Romans 3.27 says, Where is boasting? It is excluded by what law of works? That's talking about what you do and because you did this, God responds to you. Is that what excludes boasting? He says, no, but by faith, the law of faith. In other words, God paid it all and the only thing you have to do is just receive it by faith. You just believe and receive or you doubt and do without. It's not based on your effort. It's not based on your works. You know, I pray that God's helping you to understand what I'm saying. This is, this is really important. And yet I feel like so many people... I've preached on this many times before and people will sit there and shake their head and say, Amen! And then come up and void everything I've said. They'll come up and say, Brother, I believe in that. And then they'll say, why, why aren't I healed? I've been, I've been praying and I've been believing and I've been seeking God and I fast and I've done this and this and this and I've spoken this and I've done all of these things. How come God hadn't healed me yet? See, you just violated everything I've been talking about. You're pointing to what you did and you think that if you will do everything right, then God responds to you with a healing. That's not it. 
God's done it for you completely independent of you. And the thing, you're glorying in yourself. You're talking about, I don't understand. I have been living holy. Now, why hasn't God moved? I have people come to me and say things like, I'm mad at God. God failed me. God did not come through. And if you'll just keep talking to that person, you know what they're saying some way or another. I did this. I really believed God. I trusted God. I prayed. I did this and God didn't do that. They may not say it in those words, but what they're saying is basically they are glorying in what they've done and they said, I acted better than God. I was faithful and God wasn't. I was holy and I deserved it and God didn't come through. God's unholy. God missed it. They would never phrase it that way, but you know what? That's the point. You know what stops that? Is understanding the cross that Jesus did everything for you and He did it prior to you even being born, prior to you ever having committed a sin, prior to any of your goodness. Everything that God does comes through what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. So it is independent of you, prior to you, prior to your goodness, prior to your badness. There isn't anything you did that deserved Jesus coming and dying for you. There isn't anything you can do that makes you more worthy of God moving in your life. And there isn't anything you can do that makes you less worthy. God loves you independent of you and there's nothing you can do about it. He loves you. And nothing you do makes God love you more. Nothing you do makes God love you less. Does that mean then that, man, let's go party because it doesn't matter what I do. No, there's things you can do that will make Christ of none effect in your life. You can get into religious. You can get... And, and uh, you know, the reason it's important to live a holy life is not so much the sin factor. God is taking care of your sins. He's already forgiven your sins. But the real issue is that every time you yield to sin, Romans 6.16 says you yield yourself to the author of that sin. You are cooperating with the devil. You are yielding to him. You are giving Satan an inroad into your life. And Satan comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. He hardens your heart. He blocks your understanding. And every time you go live in sin, it doesn't change God's attitude towards you, but it gives Satan an inroad in and he hardens your heart and you become more uh, hardened towards God, less perceptive, and it distances you from God. And eventually you, I can promise you that what I'm saying right here, you can't get this with just your natural mind. You have to receive it by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. It's counterintuitive. It goes against our nature to think that we get things just totally by grace. Not based on anything that we do. That is against your nature. It's against your experience. There's nobody that treats you by grace. Nobody. That doesn't exist in a fallen world. You know what? Husbands and wives, we're supposed to be a picture of Christ in the church. 
And we're supposed to operate in an unconditional love and treat each other by grace. But I can guarantee you that 99.9% .9 of all marriages give their mate what they deserve. It's true. Jamie and I have counseled hundreds and hundreds of people when we were pastors. And I, I couldn't tell you the hundreds of times I've had people come in and I'd say, you're supposed to love your wife the way that Christ loved her. Well, I know that, but... And then they tell me what she did. And basically they said, but you know what? She doesn't deserve it. This is what she deserves. She did this, and so I did this. And they know what the Word says about love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He came and He died on the cross and took your sins. And you know what? He didn't only die for the Christians. He didn't only die for people that He knew would accept Him. The Scripture says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that Jesus is the propitiation. That means the atoning sacrifice. That's talking about the cross for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus didn't only forgive the sins of people who He knew were going to get saved and accept Him. He took the sins of the entire world on Him. He suffered for every sin, every iniquity that has ever been done in the human race. Did you know Hitler killed... We don't know how many people exactly, but six million Jews and others. Did you know Jesus took the punishment for what Hitler did and paid for every one of Hitler's sins? Stalin killed, they say, somewhere around 10 to 12 million people. Jesus paid for every one of those. Every person that was ever an adulterer, Every person that's committed homosexuality, all of the junk that has been done in the history of the world, did you know Jesus took that homosexuality upon Him and suffered that sin? Not only for the ones who were going to be saved, but for every vile thing that every person in the history of the world has ever done or will ever did, do, Jesus took that in His body. Now that doesn't mean that every person is going to be saved. Now I'm going to minister on that specifically at the end of this week. But it means that their sins were paid for. Their sins are really not the issue. Everybody's sins have been paid for. You know what separates us from God? Just whether you believe in Jesus or whether you believe in yourself. The sin that is going to send people to hell is the sin of rejecting Jesus. Your other sins have been paid for. But if you haven't accepted Jesus, that's the sin that sends people to hell. That is the unpardonable sin. That is the sin that is worse than anything else. And a person who sits there and says, well, you know what, I believe I'm holy. And I believe God owes it to me. And I'm a good person. And it would be wrong for God to send me to hell to judge me, to not answer my prayer because I am living holy. You are despising what Jesus did. Or at the very least, you're minimizing what Jesus did and saying He didn't pay it all. He just paid a portion and look how good I am. I deserve it more than other people. You know, I've pastored churches and I've seen people who were good people who went to church 
who lived a holy life, tried to treat other people good, but they fell into the deception of thinking that because I'm so good, God should be moving in my life. God should be healing me because I deserve it. I've seen those people flounder receiving a healing from God. And then some drunk comes in off the street who hasn't been praying, studying the Word, doing anything, and he stumbles in and we tell him the good news and he's got the exact same sickness as dear old Sister Righteous over here. And he's got the same sickness and we pray for him and he gets healed and the Sister Righteous isn't healed and I've seen them swell up before like, why did God heal them and not heal me? Man, I've made pies. I've taken them to the sick. I've knitted quilts. I've done this. How come God... You know why? Because the drunk didn't point to himself. He knew he didn't, ha- he didn't deserve a thing. And when we told him about you can just receive it as a gift, he said, really? We say, yeah. And so he just reaches out and receives it totally by grace. But Sister Righteous says, oh yeah, I need Jesus, but... He is so blessed to have someone like me. And because I've been doing this, I know God's going to move in my life. That's the very thing that makes Christ of none effect in your life is your self-righteousness. And you know, I don't know that I have the words to communicate this. I'm going to try and do this all of this week. But if we could see Jesus crucified, if we could understand what it really, what really happened... The Lord wouldn't have gone to that expense of sending His Son and having Him die for our sins if He didn't completely solve the sin issue. He wouldn't have done this if this was only a partial payment. This is the greatest expense that God's ever been to. It's the greatest gift that the world ever had to have Jesus come and die for us. And He did it. And when he did it, I guarantee you, it completely solved the problem. And for us to think he's only a portion of the problem, uh, of the answer, that he only paid for a portion of it, but we also have to live holy and we have to be worthy and God won't move in our life unless we deserve it. You are diminishing and decreasing and, and polluting what Jesus has done. You don't have a revelation of the cross. I got off on all of this by saying in Romans 3.27 that where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. It's when you put faith in what Jesus has done and you fully understand that you have nothing that you can add to what Jesus has done. That's when, that's when you truly come to grips that it is not your goodness. A person who is boasting on themselves and talking about, man, I live a holy life and I've done these things. You do not understand the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a religious cliche to you. You do not have a revelation. And if you fully understood how totally destitute we are and how we must have what Jesus did for us and not just a little bit of help. He didn't just get us over the hump. I mean, you were absolutely destitute. We had to have 100% what Jesus did for us. If you ever get a revelation of that, if you understand the cross, it'll be like Paul said, God forbid that I should ever glory in anything I have done. But instead, I'm only going to glory in what Jesus has done for me. 
And brothers and sisters, I'm saying this in love. I'm not here to criticize you. Praise God that you took time out and that you came here. Amen. I'm not trying to run you off. I'm glad that you're here. Good on you. But I can guarantee you the average person in here gets very smug at times about, man, what you've done and thinking, now I know God's going to move in my life and you have a tremendous amount of boasting in your things. I talk to people all the time that, man, it's just, it's all about them. It's all about them. I could spend the whole week trying to convince you of this. I've got a teaching out there entitled Self-Centeredness, the root of all grief. I'd encourage you to get that. And one of the things that it does, it shows in Proverbs 13.10, only by pride comes contention. It didn't say pride is one of the leading causes. Or for men, it's the number one cause. Or for type A personalities. It just says, only, only by pride comes contention. The only thing that makes you angry is your self-centeredness. And again, I've got a teaching that will expose that because some people have a misunderstanding of pride and they think pride is just arrogance. Uh, did you know low self-esteem is super Super prideful. If you're timid and shy, you are a very prideful person. And that, that uh, doesn't sound right to some people because they think pride is only arrogance. Pride in its simplest form is just focus on yourself. And I can guarantee you that a timid, shy person is a very self-centered, focused person. Because that I was an introvert. And I can tell you, it was because it was all about me. I was always thinking, am I going to say something wrong? And I was afraid to ever say or do anything. I couldn't stand in front of people like this. And yet I had the Word of God burning in my heart. I had some great things to share. But I was always thinking, what are they going to think about me? Am I going to say this right? Did I do it good? Could somebody have done it better? Are you going to evaluate me as good or bad? And because of that, I just struggled, struggled for a couple of years trying to minister. And finally, you know, one of the things, there was multiple things, but one of the things that set me free, a man came up after I preached one time, and he said, you've got some very good things to say. And if you ever got more concerned about the people you're ministering to than you are about yourself, you could be a blessing. And it was like a dagger in my heart, but it gave me revel, and you know, that was exactly what it is. You know what a shy person, those of you who just would panic to get up in front of people like this, maybe you've been healed of some incurable disease, maybe your marriage was set free, maybe you've got a testimony about financial miracles, you've got something that could bless other people. But if I was to say, come up here and share, there's some of you that immediately think, me, what's everybody going to think about me? Oh, I'm not dressed for it. I don't look right. I don't talk right. Man, be a hick from Texas and try and deal with that. <laughs> and you get to thinking about, but I, I haven't prepared. And what, what if I get up there and stumble? And what if I stutter? And oh my, is my hair combed? And You know what that is? Me, 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 self, self, self. The only thing that makes you shy and timid is because you are so focused on yourself, you can't think about 
what you have that could bless somebody else. You're always thinking about what are they going to think about me. That's the only thing that makes you timid and shy. It's not your personality type. It's your self-centeredness. And it's your pride is the only thing that makes you angry. It's not what other people do. It's the fact that you are so in love with yourself and so focused on yourself that what they do hurts you. If you were dead to yourself, people couldn't tick you off. If you took a corpse up here, I could spit on this corpse, insult the corpse, ignore the corpse, kick the corpse, hit the corpse, and if it's dead, it won't respond. You know why you respond when somebody says something to you? Because you aren't dead to yourself. You aren't crucified with Christ. It's all about you. And so I got off on all of that by saying, you know what eliminates this self-centeredness and your focus on yourself is understanding the price that Jesus paid for you and understanding that it's all Him. And you, at your very best, on your best day, on your holiest thing you've ever done, you don't deserve a thing from God. At your very best, at your very best, God doesn't owe you a thing. That's easier to say amen to than it is to live. But man, if you could understand that, that it's all the grace of God. You don't deserve God's goodness. I heard a woman one time on television. And she said, I'm not like some people that my marriage was falling apart and I was poor and I was sick and I had all of these problems. She said, my life is just great. She was rich. She was famous. She had everything going. She was a good-looking lady and everybody loved her. And anyway, she just was talking about how great her life was. And she says, I really didn't need total forgiveness the way everybody else did. Jesus was just the icing on the cake for me. And I thought, lady, I'm not sure you ever got born again. You know what? I've never done the things that a lot of people have done. By religious standards, I'm a very holy person. I've never done all of these things. But who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? All of sin comes short of the glory of God. If you miss heaven by an inch, you miss it by a mile. There's not a hell number two or hell number three. I don't deserve the blessing of God. You know, I've been separated unto God my whole life. I never went through rebellion towards God. never went through rebellion towards my mother. I never did those things. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never said a word of profanity. I'm 62 years old. I've never done these things. And yet that doesn't make me worthy of the power of God because I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've been selfish. I've hurt other people. I've been arrogant. I've done all kinds of things. Sins of the heart are just as bad, if not worse, of sins of actions. I was so raised in so much condemnation, I was afraid to do anything. I used to have a dream when I was a kid. I mean, every six months for, for years, at least for six years or more. And I'd had a dream that I smoked a cigarette. 
And I got caught. And they turned me over to the police. And the police turned me over to my mother. And my mother was beating me. And I'd wake up in hell. Burning in hell because I smoked a cigarette. And I'd be in a cold sweat. And I know some of you think, man, you are messed up. I was. I wouldn't have smoked a cigarette. I would have just thought for sure I went straight to hell if I'd have smoked a cigarette. So my condemnation kept me from committing the actions. But you know what? I had the lust on the inside. Matter of fact, I'm not going to teach on this, but I've got other series, The True Nature of God and stuff, that'll show you that the law actually makes sin come alive on the inside of you. And it makes lust grow. Through religion and condemnation, you can keep people from doing certain things, but on the inside, they will lust for it more than people who don't have all of the restrictions and the laws. That may not sound right to some of you, but that's exactly what the Bible says about it. I heard a story about a little kid that was playing with cars on the front pew and during a message and he was doing all this stuff and just making this noise and he was playing and the pastor couldn't keep his mind on what was going on and he listened for a while and finally right in the middle of his message he just said stop that kid goes (laughs) and then he told that kid he says sit down and shut up so that kid sat down and you could hear him mumbling he said I'm sitting down on the outside but I'm standing up on the inside And you know, through fear of punishment, you can get people to do what you say, but I can guarantee you in their heart, they're guilty. And Jesus said that if you've thought it in your heart, it's like you've committed it. I didn't commit some of the sins that you did, but I lusted. I had all of these things. I'm guilty. And you know, some people could sit there and say, well, boy, you lived a relatively holy life. And boy, that's God just owes you something. No wonder God moves in your life. That's not how it works. And if I thought that, that would short-circuit what Jesus accomplished for me through the cross. It would make the cross of Christ of none effect in my life if I begin to take glory and magnify my goodness and talk about my goodness. And you know, any time you start talking about how good you are, it makes you compare yourself with other people. Because compared to God... You're always going to come up short. Do your best and you've come short of the glory of God. You're never going to be as good as God. So if you start taking pleasure in your goodness and start talking about how awesome you are and man, I know God is pleased with me and I'm really doing good, that's because you've been comparing yourself among yourself, which the Bible says that's not wise. You shouldn't do that. And it's what makes religious people critical of others is because they look down their holy nose at them because they aren't living as holy as I am. But once you understand that all of your goodness, your self-righteousness is like a filthy rag, once you understand that and you understand that the only thing that's good in you is what Jesus accomplished for you through the cross, it takes away your boasting and it makes you recognize that, God, the only, the only thing that's good in my life is that I've just responded to you. I'm receiving what you have done for me. And I'm not getting in the way by my goodness. 
Once you get that kind of an attitude, it quits this comparison with other people and criticism of other people and looking down your nose. And you can look at a person who's done things that you've never done in your life and recognize that, you know what, I was just as far from God as they were. I may not have done the same things, but I needed Jesus just as much as the person who's gone out and raped and murdered and plundered and done everything. I'm not any better than anybody else. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 Once you understand this, once you understand that everything revolves around what Jesus did, the cross of Jesus, His atonement, once you get that understanding, it will cause humility to come into your life. It will keep you from being boasting and arrogant. It will keep you from being condemning of other people. It will transform your life. And there's a lot of benefits, but just this one thing that I'm talking about. It will eliminate this pride and this arrogance. And brothers and sisters, if you would be honest, just I'm not basing this on I know every person in here. I'm just saying I deal with lots of people. I talk to lots and lots and lots of people. And I can guarantee you that the average Christian, the average spirit-filled Christian, the average on-fire fanatic spirit-filled tongue-talking Christian is constantly boasting about their goodness and talking about themselves. You can't go up and show a person something that's wrong in their life out of love, not out of condemnation, but out of love and saying, you know what, you've got a problem here and you need to deal with this. The average person, the average Christian will swell up like a toad. Look, how dare you criticize me because they are so into themselves. If you're all wrapped up in yourself, you make a very small package. And if that's true of you, I can guarantee you we don't have a good revelation of the cross of Christ and what He's done because it just totally takes away this boasting and this arrogance. Amen? So praise God, all of this is introduction. We're going to start talking about some of these scriptures and if you can understand this, hopefully, when people talk about the cross of Christ, anytime that comes up, it's going to be a brand new meaning to you. It's going to affect you in ways it hasn't done before, and it's going to help you to understand more about what Jesus has done. And I tell you, this will change your life. If you begin, if you could say with Paul, God forbid that I should glory in anything but the cross of Christ. Most of us glory in ourself and our accomplishments. We frame them and hang them on the wall so that we can brag about it. But Paul said that all of my righteousness is like uh, dung. We frame our dung and hang it on the wall. Must be time for the kids to go. Father, we just love You and thank You for the Word of God. Thank You, Father, for the cross of Christ, what He did for us. And Father, we ask through the Holy Spirit that You would give us revelation of that this week and help us to get a greater understanding of what Jesus has accomplished, that it would cause us to humble ourselves and only glory in what You have done and not glory in ourselves. Father, we thank You for that. And I believe that Your Holy Spirit is here to make this real. Father, for any person here 
who hasn't really got a revelation of this, that needs a deeper revelation, we welcome the Holy Spirit to come and to magnify what Jesus has done, to take away the condemnation, our focus on ourself, this constant thought that we have to do something to get you to do it. Instead, Father, help us just to respond to what Jesus has already done through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We welcome that. And I thank you, Father. I believe this is going to change people's lives. You know, I'd like to ask you here, and also people watching, we had over 3,000 people watching, that if you don't know Jesus personally, hopefully this has helped you tonight. Just the introduction to this has helped you to understand that it doesn't matter what you've done, whether it's good or whether it's bad. It has nothing to do with you. Jesus paid for everything for you. And all you've got to do is just put your faith in what... you get born again, you must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not a suggestion. Jesus gave His disciples a command. Don't share the gospel with anybody. Don't tell anybody this good news about Him being raised from the dead until you receive power from on high. And then they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in spoken tongues. There may be people here that think, well, I think I got the Holy Spirit, but I don't speak in tongues. That's not for us today. Or it doesn't happen for everyone. I haven't got time to teach on it, but I can guarantee you the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. Amen. And if you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit... You should speak in tongues. You don't have to speak in tongues. I'm not speaking in tongues right now because I control it. The Holy Spirit doesn't take you and force you. It's not something that just possesses you and you can't control it. The Bible teaches just the opposite of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And he said that right after only speak by two or three in an assembly. Never more than that. And those have to be with an interpretation. In other words, this isn't something that just takes control. It can be done orderly. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The Holy Spirit doesn't force you. You have to take a step of faith and speak. So anyway, I could spend more time on this, but if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues, it's not limited to that, but it includes it. You need this gift. And I can promise you this, you cannot understand and retain the things that I've talked about tonight without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. The natural man can't understand this. You have to have the Holy Spirit to help you to spiritually discern this. So if there's anybody here who does not have this gift of speaking in tongues and you would like to receive it, we would like to minister to you. Also, those of you watching on the internet, you can pray with us right down here and listen to the instructions that I give and you can receive so is there anybody here who would say, I need one or both of those. I need either salvation or I need this gift of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's somebody over here. Here's others. There's people all over. Praise God. There may be some of you thinking, well, now wait a minute. I don't speak in tongues, but I, I don't believe I have to do that. It's not that you have to do it. You get to do it. It's a privilege. Somebody's thinking, so what what's happens if I raise my hand? What are you going to do to me? I'm going to give you a free book that will explain it. We're going to pray with you and we're just going to bless you. 
We aren't asking you to join this church. This isn't my church. You need to be in a church, and you need to be in a good church. This is a good church, but we're just asking you to receive. We're going to pray with you and help you, and we aren't going to do anything to hurt you. Get a free book out of it. What a deal. Amen. So is there anybody here, if you've raised your hand, or if you were supposed to raise your hand, but you didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward, and we want to pray with you right here and help you to receive. Come forward right now and let us agree with you. As you're coming forward, I need to give you this announcement. We've got about 70 cars parked in other business parking lots around here. Those are not our parking. Somebody's going to tow you if you do that. So remember, park in these spaces behind this building, over here beside it, around our building. We've got places, and you can park out on the street, but do not park in other business parking lots. Or I can't be responsible for what happens. Praise God. Again, if you're watching from home, if you're watching on the internet, you know what? You can listen and the same instructions I give, you can pray and you can receive salvation and or the baptism of the Holy Spirit right here. So praise God. Don't turn off. Stick with us and receive this. This will change your life. We're asking everybody to step beside each other instead of behind each other. And the reason being, I'm going to have people come up here and stand behind you and lay hands on you. The Bible says through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So it helps us to be able to lay hands on you if you stand beside each other instead of behind each other. We can get to you better. Before I can minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit and help you to receive this gift of speaking in tongues, the Bible says that Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive Jesus before you receive the gift that He gives. You have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody here who is not absolutely sure about whether you've made Jesus your Lord? You know, like I was talking tonight, there are people that say, well, I go to church and I'm a good person and I, I live the best I can and I believe that God's going to accept me because I, I try and I live holy. What you're doing, you've put faith in yourself. You need to put faith in a Savior. If your faith has been in your goodness and thinking that surely God's going to move in my life because I'm a relatively good person, you'll split hell wide open. Again, who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? You need a Savior. You need to make sure your faith is in Jesus as a Savior. So is there anybody who's not absolutely certain that you've done that and you want to pray with me first and make sure that you've received Jesus as your Savior? Anybody? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. And identify yourself. Here's a lady right here. I'll pray with you. Anyone else? Anybody else? Are all the rest of you absolutely sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of your faith. You just got to be sure. There's so many people that aren't sure. Here's one way you can tell. If you were to stand before God right now, and if God says, what makes you worthy? What makes you worthy to enter into heaven? How would you answer if you start pointing to anything you've done and say, well, I'm a good person and I go to church and I, I live holy and I forgave this person. If you point to anything you do, then it's going to be insufficient and you won't make it. The only answer that will get you into heaven is to say, it's not me. It's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It's what he did for me. So is there anybody else here that would 
have to say that, you know what, I have not put my faith in Jesus. My faith is in myself and in what I've done. Here's another one right here. Praise God. Anybody else? All right, I'm going to pray with these two. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to say the words that the Scripture says you need to say. And if you will repeat this after me and mean it in your heart, you have to mean it in your heart, then you'll be born again. Isn't that a good deal? Jesus has already paid for your sins. All you've got to do is receive it. And again, anyone watching by the Internet, this will work for you. It doesn't matter where you are. Jesus wants to save you more than you want to be saved. So all you've got to do is just open up the door and let Him in. So let's say this. I'd like to ask everybody to pray this with me so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. But say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. Right now. In the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? Amen. Praise God. you believe that? Awesome. Man, that's great. You know, we got a young man over here who prayed that and a woman right here. She's still a woman. He's still a man. On the outside, they hadn't changed. But on the inside, according to the Bible, you are a brand new person. It's awesome. And I've got a book that I'm going to give you that will explain this and it will help you to understand. But according to the Word of God, now every person up here is saying that you have done this and you've made Jesus your Lord. So according to Scripture, every one of you is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that's important is because that's what God made you to be a temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. So that means this is what you were created for. God is not going to fail to answer your prayer. This is what you were made for. God wants to fill you with His Holy Spirit more than you want it. So we don't have to beg. We don't have to plead. This is what you were made for. It's All you've got to do is just open up the door to this temple just a little bit. Give a crack in that door, and I guarantee you the Holy Spirit's going to come in and start filling you with power, and you're going to receive this gift of speaking in tongues. So we aren't going to beg. We're just going to uh, pray a simple prayer and welcome the Holy Spirit to come into your temple. Give Him the authority and the invitation to come in. Then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come up here and lay hands on you because the Bible says through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Then they're going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And then I want you to quit asking. Sometimes people just keep asking and asking and asking and begging. Again, believe that God has already done this and it's not according to anything. And you just receive it. So you ask, we're going to lay hands on you, and then I want you to start thanking God, regardless of what you feel like. If I had more time, I could explain this better, but it's not a feeling, it's just something that you believe, and your life is going to take on a different dimension. You're going to have God living through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that you never have. So 
We're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on, and then you're going to start thanking God that you got the Holy Spirit. Okay? And at that time, the Bible says that when you're praying in tongues, you're giving thanks well. So speaking in tongues is giving thanks unto God. It's praising God and thanking God. So those of us who already have this gift of speaking in tongues, we're going to start praying in tongues. And when we start speaking in tongues, I want you to quit thanking Him in English and just switch over to speaking in tongues and worshiping Him in this language. There's a lot I've got to share. I'm, I've got a book that will go into more detail, but let me just say the number one thing that I found that hinders people is that they think that the Holy Spirit's going to take your mouth and make you talk. That's not how it works. It's very similar to when I spoke tonight. I believe that God spoke through me, but He didn't take my voice and make me talk. If I would have just opened my mouth and said, Oh God, speak through me, and then wait on Him to make me talk, nothing would have been said. I spoke. That's why it came out in Texan. That's why it came out with my sense of humor and my personality. It was me speaking, but I believe that God was inspiring it. It was inspired of God. That's the way speaking in tongues is. The Bible says they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance or the inspiration. So you have to start speaking and just by faith believe that it's the Holy Spirit. And once you get your mind off of yourself and quit listening to how strange it is, you'll find out it just flows through you and it edifies you. And I've got a book that will explain it. But that's what we're going to do. And if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. Isn't that good? The Bible says believers will speak in new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you that we are now born again. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we open up the doors of this temple. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into our life right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, here's the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Father. We want the power of the Holy Spirit. We want the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to start living out of your ability and not ours. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We lay hands on you now and say, Receive the Holy Spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we loose this power to flow into all of these right now in the name of Jesus. Boy, right here is the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit flowing in you. Now, I want you to start thanking God. Quit asking and thank Him. He promised that if you ask, He'd give. So start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. Let's lift your hands up like this. The Bible says that when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. You yield. Let's just thank Him now. Those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues. And as we worship the Lord and speak in tongues, you just join in with us. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but your tongue will be unique to you. It won't be the same as anybody else. So you can't say what they're saying, but once you try and it comes out different, just keep talking. Just keep going. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth. You got to talk. You can't talk in tongues in English or a known language at the same time. Thank you, Jesus. Those of you watching by the internet, you know what? You can pray in tongues right now. You can do it by yourself right there. Don't worry about what it sounds like when a little baby starts speaking. It doesn't sound like a real language, but that parent knows what that baby's trying to say. Our own self-consciousness sometimes hinders us from flowing, but I can guarantee you, your father is pleased that you are praying from your spirit and not your mind. And so just keep doing it and it'll become fluent. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, many, many, many of these are speaking in tongues. You know, when you speak in tongues, you're bypassing your brain. You're praying out of your spirit. It's powerful. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Sorry to interrupt you, but let me have your attention here for a minute. I know some of you were just really beginning to get edified and enjoy this, but it's important that you understand what happened to you. I can promise you this, that what happened to you right now is more important and more powerful than what any of you understand. It's real. This outside of your born-again experience is the most important thing that will ever happen in your life. But you've got to understand it to be able to get the full benefit. And if you don't understand it, the Bible says that if you don't understand, Satan comes immediately and steals away the word that's been sung. So I've written a book that explains this and will give you a lot of understanding. Also, if you didn't speak in tongues tonight, I believe that God still gave you the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this ability to speak in tongues. With me... I prayed and asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it was three and a half years before I spoke in tongues. But that's because I was a Baptist. And I had so much fear about speaking in tongues. I'd been taught so many wrong things that it messed me up and it kept me from speaking in tongues. But I've got my questions answered. I've recorded it in a book and I want to give this book to every one of you. And I promise you, if you didn't speak in tongues, but if you'll read this book, and follow what I say. You can speak in tongues and then you can begin to start understanding and reaping the benefit of it. So I would like to give this book to every person. It's really important. We want you to get the maximum benefit from this. Okay? So if you would, who's going to give uh, Robert right here, the man in the center aisle with his Bible up. If you would just follow him, we got a room right there that they have the books in. And they'll give you a book. If any of you have any questions, they'll answer your questions. They'll pray with you. They'll help you any way they can. So just follow Robert, and he's going to give you this book and help you. Amen. Let's praise God for all of these that came to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
Awesome. Awesome. These are our prayer ministers that are staying down here. And I'd like to ask anyone who needs prayer to come and let one of our prayer ministers pray for you. Many of these are directors of our Bible school. They're uh, Bible college students. They're people that know the Word of God and know how to minister and pray with people. So I'd like to ask that if you would like prayer for anything, just come forward right now and let one of these people lay hands on you. And we're going to believe God for some great miracles. If you came with a need in your body or finances, if you need prayer and agreement, I want you to come forward right now and we're going to pray with you. And if you will let our prayer ministers lay hands on you, then we can pray for every person in here and get it done in a relatively quick period of time. Amen. So come forward right now. We're going to have people stand at the aisles that will direct you towards one of our prayer ministers so that everybody just won't get on one side. And please cooperate with the people that are directing you. The rest of you, you're welcome to stay and pray. I'm going to pray, and often I call out gifts of the Holy Spirit. And miracles happen. People get set free. A lot of good things happen. So you're welcome to stay and pray with us. You're free to go if you need to. Those of you that are watching by the internet, we've seen a lot of people healed over the internet who watch these prayers. And so if you have a need in your body, I just want you right now to go to trusting God and thanking Him for what He's already done and just agree with us. And I believe that this same power will flow towards you right now. So Father, we pray and thank You for all of these. Thank You that by the stripes of Jesus, we have already been healed. That it's already done. That You have done it. You bore our stripes, our sicknesses, our diseases, and we're healed. And so we just stand here in agreement to take our authority and we release this power of God. And we command you, Satan, to let go of people right now in the name of Jesus. Get off of their bodies. We rebuke demonic stuff and command it to leave people right now. Sickness and disease to be gone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we speak to these problems. We command backs to be healed now in the name of Jesus. Eyes to be healed. Sinuses to be healed. Knees, feet to be healed. Backs to be healed. Father, we just thank you and we receive your miraculous power flowing through people's bodies right now. Thank you, Jesus. You know, somebody's ears are being healed. You know, if you're here in this service, I assume you have some hearing or you couldn't hear what I'm saying. But if you have a hearing problem, I believe that the healing power of God's flowing towards you. I believe there's somebody watching by television that you're having to use closed captioning in order to be able to get this service. I'm releasing the healing power of God right now in Jesus' name. Father, we just speak and command this healing to flow right now. You know, if you're here in this auditorium and you've had problems with your hearing and you believe that God is healing you right now, I want you to stand so that I can see who this is. If you're And raise your hand too because there's other people standing. So stand and raise your hand and I'm just releasing this healing power to flow towards you right now in the name of Jesus. 
In deafness, I rebuke you right now, whatever the cause of it is. If it's age, if it's nerve deafness, eardrums that have been damaged. I just command deafness to be gone off of people right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Father, we release your healing power and command these ears to open up now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive this and we thank you. And right now, ears open up. Hearing volume, you come up now. You hear clearly in the name of Jesus. There's some of you that have hearing aids. You can take those hearing aids out and you're going to be able to start hearing without the hearing aids. You can check yourself. Here's the healing power of God coming right now. Father, we agree and we release this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And I believe that the healing power of God is flowing in your body. Praise God. Lord spoke to me, there's somebody here has got a tumor on your chest. This doesn't have to be just a woman. It could be anybody with a tumor on your chest. I don't know if you've had it diagnosed or not, but here's the healing power of God coming unto you. If that's you, if you've had a tumor on your chest, I want you to stand right here in the name of Jesus. And here's the healing power of God coming towards you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I agree and I release this healing right now. We command these tumors to be gone. Tumor, we command that life in that tumor to die, to get out of that. We speak death to that tumor. That that life force is gone and that it's drying up and that the healing power of God is flowing through their body now. Tumor, you be gone. Healing, you come. And Father, we release this anointing to flow through them. And any fear that's in their body, Father, I thank you for taking away fear and that faith rises up right now and that they believe that your healing power has come upon them right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all agree? You believe you're healed? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree. Somebody here has had stomach problems. You've had this for a long period of time. It seems like it comes and goes. But you just have stomach problems, eating certain things and stuff like that. If that's you, I want you to stand up right where you are and raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. And I believe God's going to do a miracle. If this is you. Anybody else? If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand. I know somebody's sitting down and thinking, well, I don't have to stand and raise my hand. I'm going to pray it won't work if you're seated. Amen. Those of you at home, do something to say, that's me. I believe I'm receiving. Father, in the name of Jesus, I release your power towards every person that's standing and receiving this right now. And stomachs, whatever's wrong here, in the name of Jesus, whatever this problem is, I command the healing power of God to flow. Somebody here, it's not just your stomach, it's your bowels, your intestines. Here's the healing power of God flowing right now and taking care of this. I command all of that bloated feeling, this pain to be gone. Father, we release your anointing right now. Thank you that they're able to eat every food that's good for them, Father. Thank you that allergies and things like that that have affected them and what they can eat. I release your power and believe that they are set free from those limitations. Now, in Jesus' name, Father, we agree. 
and receive these healings in the name of Jesus. Amen. You agree? You receive? Praise the Lord. Amen. Father, we, we believe that we receive now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Father, for whatever else is present here tonight, I just thank you, Father, that it's your will to heal every single person. So right now, we release your healing power. And Father, we believe that your power is touching every single person, whatever their situation is, whatever their need is. I just release the anointing of the Holy Spirit and we command healing to flow towards every single person. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, the Lord's speaking to me that some of you have needs, but you're just passive. You're just waiting to see if God does something. That's not how it works. If you have a need, you ought, to be re you ought to be reaching out and taking the healing power of God. You need to do something. Again, if, you're, if you have a need in your body, I don't care whether I called it out or not. If you have something that you need, I just want you to stand right now. Raise your hands. And by doing that, you're saying, I'm taking my healing. You aren't just waiting on God. You're going to reach out and take it. I know that this is a small thing, but you got to do something. Faith without works is dead. Do something. Father, right now, we just stand and we lift our hands and we receive our healing. We rebuke any discouragement. Father, any delay that has come in our manifestation of our healing, we cast off any discouragement, any doubt. We speak with our mouth that by your stripes we were healed. That you've already done it that Jesus you took our sickness and our disease and we aren't having it anymore. There's no reason both of us have to bear it. We cast it over on you. We take our healing right now in the name of Jesus. Bodies you be healed. Bodies you recover right now in the name of Jesus. We loose the healing power of God to flow through us. Thank you Jesus. Boy, here's the anointing power of the Holy Spirit flowing in your body. Father, we release it. We command our bodies to respond. Sickness and disease to be gone. Health to come. Sores to heal. Pain to be gone in the name of Jesus. Tumors to be gone. Movement to come back. Father, we thank you. We just release and take advantage of what you have already purchased for us. And we agree and we receive it. And thank you for doing this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all agree? You believe you receive? Amen. Let's give God a good praise the Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We agree and we receive. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Well, remember that we're back at what? Nine o'clock in the morning? Nine o'clock in the morning. Remember also we have that children and youth ministry in the morning. I'll be speaking in the youth early and then I'll be over here later on. And we, uh, in the morning, we're going to have our instructors in the Bible school speaking. And I tell you, we have the strongest, most powerful uh, 
ministry gifts in this school that we have ever had. Everyone is good. You will be blessed. So don't sleep in and just come for the later service. You're going to miss a blessing if you do. Amen. So be back at 9 o'clock in the morning. God bless you. You're dismissed. Don't forget the materials and the things out there.